turn to First uh, Timothy chapter two, <clears throat> and this is on Paul is writing to Timothy about the problems on the outside in the ministry, also on the inside in the congregation, and also um, so in the in the world, and then in the nature of people, uh, there can be a lot of controversy. Um, let's see. In, in, I, I made a list here of these words in First Timothy 6. Um, so if you just turn there for a moment, First Timothy 6, 4. This is King James. He is proud, knows nothing, obsessed with disputes. In the King James, doting about questions and strifes of words. So uh, he's describing a kind of activity that's happening in the church uh, with proud people. Uh, so uh, uh, that's the context um, and then there's, there's 11 of these descriptive um, words here. It says, whereof comes envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings. So this is a description of the nature of man. If we, we just let man be man in, in the church, um, uh, in, and then, of course, in society, then we see where man goes with his mind and his heart. Uh, so these are really strong descriptive words, strife of words, envy, railings is like arguments, fiery arguments, evil surmisings, suspicions, and then this, um, the next one's of verse 5. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt mind, destitute of truth, supposing gain is godliness. So I, I don't, I don't think that you came to church tonight to hear all this bad news about people. But uh, I love it that Paul is able to hit, hit it head on and just talk about the hearts of people and what happens with us. Um, I read recently from um, Jonathan Edwards. Um, I got it in that manila folder there. Just this interesting word. Um, oh, no, I don't have it there. Here, I got it right here. Okay. He said, how many men who live in ways that are not agreeable to God, and yet, and then they, they are blinded. And if a man lives in envy, then that will blind his understanding and he will approve of it. The man who hates his neighbor, the more he will be disposed to think that he has a just cause to hate him. So you have hatred growing in that his neighbor is hateful and deserves to be hated. 
and that it is not his duty to love him. Uh, so I uh, have that in the back of my mind as we, we speak tonight about Jesus Christ and what Christ has done to equip us to live in a world where you have uh, this activity that is very common to people. Um, let's look at it again. Uh, pride, he thinks he knows, but he doesn't. Uh, obsessed with disputes, strife of words, envy, railings, evil surmisings at work, in a family, it happens. Uh, really, arguments, and there isn't any truth, and then they suppose if you have money, then that's godliness, to be rich or successful or have a good career. But those things are so shallow compared to what God gave us when he came into the world and gave us Christ. When Christ comes into our heart, what that means, and how powerful Christ is. So that'll be our message tonight, how powerful Christ is. That's the the main heart of our message, how powerful Christ is. It's beautiful. Okay, so... I'm going to, we're praying for that to happen. And then turn to um, that portion, 1 Timothy 2, 8. He said, I will that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. So I want to illustrate that. So uh, I, I get up in the morning um within short time maybe or in a few minutes or right away or within 20 minutes or whatever i can pray so i can do this i can just go before god and i'm not asking him anything but all it says is i lift up holy hands so are these hands holy yes. well y- yes and no they're not, but because of Christ, they are. Amen. They're holy hands. So you lift up holy hands. Like, do you literally lift up holy hands? That's what it says. Lift up holy hands. I'm by myself, or my wife is in the bedroom, or wherever I am, but I'm, I just want to be conscious of God. I'm not asking him anything. That's, that's not where I'm at right now. I'm not asking him anything. I'm just a, I'm a waiter. I'm, a, I'm waiting on him. I am trusting him. Very simple. But there's two things I don't have when I have to pull hands. What are they? Without wrath. Now, what's wrath? Anger. But anger is like inside. Anger is not always in my mouth. It might be in my throat. It might be deep in my heart. It might be really deep inside me, but I might have anger. Anger about life. Anger about God. Anger about my family. Anger about people. Anger, angry about my boss. Angry about my car. Angry about the country. Anger, and, and by the way, anger is a good thing. You, you know, if you are a spiritual Christian, you will be angry. Mark 3, 5, Jesus was angry. 
Because angry is a, anger is a reflection of love. If you don't have love, then you won't have God's anger. But if you have God's love, then you have God's anger. What does that mean? Not angry at people, but those ideas that are lies, that contradict God. But in this setting, before God, I'm not angry. I, I, am, I am subject to him. I am at peace. I'm, I'm waiting on him. I believe in him. He is a good God. We enter his courts with thanksgiving. And that's just how it is. We, we lift up holy hands without wrath. And the second one is without doubting. What is doubt? Well, that's in my heart too. I doubt. I question it. I doubt it. But this is a prayer. But there's nothing said. It's only an attitude. And it might last a few minutes. It doesn't matter. I'm not talking about how long it is or what it is. I'm trying to say that what it is is very, is, is powerful. Because you are waiting on God. Now, when you go to a restaurant and somebody, somebody orders something, I'm the waiter and I'm there with my, my pencil and my pad and what would you like? I'm waiting for them. And what would you like? I haven't decided yet. Okay. And then you go to the, you know, they, they're in charge. I'm not in charge. I'm waiting on them. They decide when and what they eat. It's up to them. That's like when we're waiting on God, we're waiting on God. He is in charge. He is in charge of my day. He's in charge of my life. There's not a lot of noise going on in my heart. I don't have anger and I don't have doubt. I'm just there before him with holy hands, waiting on him, listening to him. And we have the, the, word, the word of God that we are receiving here and reading on our own devotional life. We're reading Proverbs, one chapter a month, Five Psalms a day. Uh, a day. Uh, you can do one chapter of Proverbs a day, but there's 31 chapters. I mean, uh, yeah, you go through the book in a month. Uh, you can go through the Psalms. Um, you can read the Kings, the Prophets. You can read the Minor Prophets, the Gospels. And yeah, just quietly and wait on God and see what he orders. And I say, what do you want? I don't know yet. Well, I'm quiet. That's fine. We don't have doubt. We're not angry. We're just waiting on him. And that's how we live. And, you know, any time in the day you can do that. Any time. And here, here he says in 1 Timothy 2, 8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath, and doubting. And who are we praying for? Kings, verse 2. Kings and all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So that's it. That's a beautiful, beautiful thought. 
Okay, one last, one other point. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. I want to show you something about Jesus and what Jesus did for us. Chapter 2 and verse 6. I'll make a list here. Jesus is God, number two. He thought it not robbery to be equal to God. It means he didn't did did not grasp for being God. He did not grasp for being God. Meaning, you are God, Jesus. Yes, I am. Well, why don't you behave like God? Why don't you do the other things that God would do? Why don't you why don't you exercise all your rights and all your authorities and all your authority and all your knowledge regarding God? I, I'm not grasping for that. I can go low and low and low. There's seven of them here in this text. Look at chapter two. It says he did, was not equal with God, verse 6, but made himself of no reputation. Number three, no reputation. He was silent. He didn't need to blow a horn in the street. He didn't need a publicity campaign. He didn't need any of that. He wasn't here for that. He wasn't promoting himself. Uh, he, he was just obeying the Father, number um, verse 7, took upon him the form of a servant. Number 4, he became a slave. The word is actually slave. No rights, no property rights, no voting rights. I mean, the meaning of that word, but transpose it onto Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm not the master, my father is. I'm submitted to him. I came to do his will. I want, I want to do his will. This is where the power comes. This is how he ripped into the world. This is how he tore the devil to pieces. This is how he takes us and gives us a new life. This is how Christ came. God gave us the greatest gift. He himself came into this world. He lived this life and the authority and the power and the victory that we have in Christ Jesus is incredible. It's absolutely unbelievable what it is. Now, the world is dancing around with all their disputes and their envyings and railings and their foolishness, but you and I don't care so much about that. We're, uh, we, we have the living Christ who came into this world, and he, like, he totally overcame this world he put it he gave he put our lives in order he exalted us in a kingdom he baptized us into himself he made us his bride he fills us with his spirit and he gives us his mind now what when he went to that cross that was not small potatoes that was a huge thing that was incredible what he did. So that's what we're going to go go at here. Go to the next part. It says, 
He was made, he was in the form of a slave, he was made in the likeness of men. He was just like a man. If you walked by him, you would not mistake him for anything other than just a common man. Even his identity in a crowd wasn't clear to people. In Gethsemane, they needed somebody to kiss him to identify him. He could blend into a crowd. He had the likeness of a man. Uh, he did all the things that we do. We sweat. Uh, we eat. We do all. We live as people. We are tired. We sleep. Uh, we bleed. We get hurt. We bruise ourselves and so, so on. He's a man. He was humble. He was humble because, number one, he's God. He's God. And then... He's in the likeness of a man. Number, number verse 8, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death. Number 6 is death. He died. Now, when he died, he died like this. He didn't die like the way you and I would die. We go, we, we, we're trying to live. We don't want to die. We're trying to, we're fighting to live. We, we'd be sucking air. We'd be fighting to live, to breathe more. Jesus didn't. He breathed out. He died. Different. He had no sin. He didn't have to die in one sense. He had no sin. But the Father judged him as a sinner, though in him he had no sin. But on his body was our sins, and the blood atoned for our sin. So he died, but it was worse than that. He died the death of the cross, the worst. Ripped apart, torn to pieces, beaten to death, crucified, nailed to the cross. God did that. That's what we're talking about. If we could grab a hold of like who we are because of him, what he did, what, what this means to us, then we are, we are so encouraged. We are so edified. We cannot even believe. We're touching just a little bit. Turn to Revelation 5 with me, please. So, we have this Humility and obedience of Christ. Are you obedient to God? No. Yes, yes and no. But no, we can't do it. He did it. He became a man. He was obedient. Now we are given that obedience. We are blessed with that righteousness. We are anointed of God. We are in this world. And, and uh, uh, we, we understand how, how beat up we can be. But I just want to say, if we could understand the extraordinary nature of this. Look at chapter 5. Verse 1. I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne of God, a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. This is in the hand of him that sat on the throne. That's God. God is sitting on the throne, and he has in his hand the title deed of the earth, what the Bible commentaries say, because this scroll is what's opened up to bring all the judgments on the earth. The seals are broken. But who can take the seal? Who can take the scroll? 
Who can take the scroll? Who could even be in the presence of this unbelievable event? Who, verse 2, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? No man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. There wasn't anybody even close. Oh, what about Abraham Lincoln, Albert Einstein, William Shakespeare? How about anybody else? How about uh, a prophet? How about Moses? How about anybody, any man? Anybody? Is there anybody who could open this? And uh, this event is just speaking to us about about this mind behind this Christ that came into the world. The mind that says, without him, we would have lost the earth. Without him, we would have lost the human race. Without him, there would not be a kingdom coming on the earth. Without him, there would be no one to go to the earth as the king of kings. Without him, there wouldn't be anybody who had any right to this great event where God is saying, I have a title deed. There's somebody who has the rights to the earth. And who is it? And, of course... In heaven, John wept much, verse 4, and I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Two times, neither to look thereon. They couldn't even look at it, not even close. And one of the elders said, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book. This is amazing. This is amazing. There is somebody. The one that hung on the cross. Wow, what? The one that hung on the cross. The one that the centurion pierced the one that was nailed, the one that was bleeding, the one that was beaten, the one that came from heaven, born in Bethlehem, the the son of Mary, the one that came by the prophets, the one that rose from the dead, the Christ, the one that was on the cross and overcame, the one that humbled himself so much that he goes all the way to the very bottom of the human race. How far will God go? If you make your bed in hell, I am there, and my right hand will lead you. I will lead you. I have somebody that overcame death and hell. I have somebody that ripped the world to pieces, the world of evil, the world of lying and disputing, the world of arrogance, the world of ignorance, the world of uh, pride and chauvinism and arrogance and and uh, racism and every other ism, the world of man, the world of fallen man. When he, I, I found that interesting. When I, I start to hate my neighbor, 
that hatred blinds my mind and I start to see things about my neighbor that I hate. The way he brings the garbage can out to the, out to the street. Like, I, I just hate, I just hate, and I, I, actually, I hate him. And then I heard him talking, and it, it just bothered me. I hated him. How did that hate go? How did that work? How does hate work? Well, in history, it happens. Remember Germany with the Jewish people? They just taught them hate, hate, hate. That blinds the minds. Now I find reason to hate them. Then I find another reason to hate them, and I hate them. And that hatred grows. Well, are you kidding me? Yeah, that's the nature of man. He will hate the church. He will hate the brother. He will hate the Christian. He will hate his mother. He will hate his brother. He will hate the life. He will hate his job. That's the nature of man. And we say, God... If you leave us to ourselves, we will destroy ourselves with hatred. It'll grow in us. And, you know, in our country, I don't like to believe that hatred is growing, but I believe in the hearts of some people it is. And the only answer to that is this person that came into a hated world, and we hated him and crucified him, and he overcame it and came into our hearts. We don't hate. We love and forgive. And we sow seeds of love. My neighbor is awesome. He's made in the image of God. My neighbor has many troubles and problems. Maybe I can help him. My neighbor is confused, and sometimes he says bad things. But I, I, I am here in, the, in, in this world waiting upon the living God with a victory over myself so that I don't live in hatred, but I live in, in ministry. I live in love. I live in care. I live in investment. We have this now in this lifetime. Okay, let's finish up here. It says, and I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, verse 6, and the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. When he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sang, they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue, and people, and nation. And it's made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts, and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, 
Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, and glory, and blessing. I feel so honored. Let me finish up my message. I think we'll do 1 John 5 and turn there with me. Spent the afternoon here today just in prayer and thinking about tonight. And I have so many things to share, but I I think this is good. And uh, let's see if we can hit the point here in a few minutes. First, we did already, but to say it again, First Peter, First John five, verse, verse four. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. You have overcome the world. You are born of God. Act like it. You have overcome the world. You are born of God. You have the greatest treasure that we could ever have is in us, with us, speaks to us. He is is here. He is in your life. He is in your life. Here's a good warning. In this list, you see how God goes like this. He goes real humble. He's always going. And for us, like he can humble himself to the very bottom, the cross, the depths of the cross. Uh, Who are you? You know, mocking him. Who are you? You are nothing. If you are the Christ, come down. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Who are you? What a joke. What a fool. What a misled rabbi. What a, you know, we have the power. We crucified you. You're nothing. You're nobody. But we just read what's going to happen in heaven. He's the one. He's the one that overcame. He's the one that's coming. He's coming soon. He's the one that came into your life. When you were on drugs or alcohol, or pornography, or deceitfulness, or pride, or arrogance. He's the one that came into your life. How did that happen? How could Christ come into your life and make you a saint, a king and a priest? How could God make us a king and a priest unless he himself overcame this world at high price, high cost, high high value? Huge value. Whoa, how did that happen? Who am I? We don't even know what the soul of a man is. How valuable is the soul of a man? How valuable is the life of a teenager? How valuable is a little child? How valuable is an old man or an old elderly lady? How valuable is the soul of a person that God would give his son so that that person would have eternal life, be forgiven, and their name put in the book of life? How could that happen? How could it happen? How could a grave one day, all the graves of the Christians, be empty one day? That we go up in the air and we meet Christ in the air. We're going to meet Christ in the air? We're going to go up and meet Christ in the air? How could that happen? That power of what God did for us 
in humbling himself and coming into this world to save us and to give us this gift of eternal life and give us the guarantee of a resurrection and give to us the presence of angels and the presence of the Spirit and the walk of faith and give us victory over our sin nature so that we don't live foolishly like we would generally do. Generally, we would be foolish. Are you foolish? Sometimes. You want to turn to your neighbor and just say, I'm foolish sometimes. I think you are too. Yeah. Foolish. I can give you examples. I I am so foolish, I can give you examples of my foolishness. But what does God say about it? Though, though, what? Though you sin and the sin abounds, grace does much more abound. You cannot take the blood of my son and discredit it. You cannot remove his power. It is uh, forever. It is everlasting. The believer is secure in the mind and the heart of God, for we've been bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6.20. We've been paid for by the blood of the Lamb. Malachi chapter 3. Yeah, we, we are his jewels. We are special to God. We are the apple of his eye in Zechariah chapter 4. We are precious. Of all the fathers given me, I have lost none, Jesus says. Lord, where do you get this power? Because I humbled myself and obeyed my heavenly Father. Therefore, he has highly exalted me. And I have all authority in heaven and earth. And I give that authority to you. That you are people on the earth that have the authority of the Son of God. How did you raise the dead? In the name of Jesus Christ. How did you have a new life? In the name of Jesus Christ. How did you, how come you got joy every day? In the name of Jesus Christ. How do you, how do you know you have eternal life? Because of Jesus Christ. How do you know the kingdom is coming on the earth? Because of Jesus Christ. That's the answer. And the price he paid. We ripped him to pieces, and he ripped this world to pieces. We went after him with all of hell, and he came to us with all of heaven. He, he faced the death, and then he gives us resurrection. When do we get it? Now. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives within me. In the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. It's all him. The victorious Christian life is him. He did it. And when we go to heaven, and this whole thing could happen again, I don't know that it will, but when John was in heaven, God showed him there wasn't anybody who could even look on the problem, not to mention solve it. And then the angel said, weep not. For the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? The seed of Judah, the seed of David, he has overcome, and he is here, and he has the right to that. 
Uh, so I'm encouraged tonight. I, I just want to give you a punch, a good, good punch. Just say, hey, it's Jesus that did it. What we have is incredible. We have his name. We have his nature. We have his spirit. We have his purpose. We have his throne. We have his body. We are members of his bride. We are to be built up in the reality of it and actually feel it sometimes and sense it and dance on the devil's grave or dance on the enemy's head and dance in your victory and say no, no, like no. I don't, I'm not into that. No, I'm not taking it. No, I'm not eating that. No, I don't believe that. Amen. And you go before God like this with your, in your spirit and attitude, and you aren't anything, but you have holy hands. You don't have wrath, worked up, fighting, angry about stuff, and without doubt, and you wait upon him. He will renew your strength. He will fill you with the Spirit again and again and again. He'll speak to you. You'll start to read this book and get things from it. And you'll get to talk to your brother and sister, not with these kind of things happening in the church. Proud, knows nothing, obsessed with disputes, fighting and talking about things. No, not this way. But instead, he's got his 11 things but instead, he, the, the follow-up part is he flees these things. He flees. He follows righteousness, and he fights a good fight. Just a short outline. Turn to First Timothy, and we'll finish right there. Chapter 6. Thank you for being here tonight. God bless you. Look at chapter 6, verse 11. Let's have a little fun with that for a minute. But thou, O man of God. Oh, what a... But thou, O man of God. Say it with me. But thou, O man of God. Man of God. But you, man of God. Woman of God. But you, Oh, man of God. Wow, is that good? Just drink that in. But thou, O oh man of God. What, what does he do? Look at it, verse 11. Flee these things. Follow righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Oh, oh, man of God. Come on, flee these things. What, what things? These things in the context, these things that are put up there. Flee these things. You don't have to deal with this stuff. There's all this stuff that you see. You have people angry and hateful and fighting and arguing and all that stuff that happens. But, but oh, no, but you, oh, men of God, people know you are quiet Wise, loving, kind, tender, generous, gracious, and you flee these things. Run away. Don't get in a fight. Drop it. Love. Pray. Believe. Worship. Be salty. 
Be wise. Have a message. Because Jesus has changed our lives. Jesus has done that. He's changed our lives. Okay, so to your neighbor just now for a moment. We're going to, it's the end, but we were here. Okay. Turn to your neighbor and say, But thou, O man of God, thou, O woman of God. But the woman, the person next to me is a woman. But thou, O woman of God, flee these things. Oh, it's good to have fight in us, isn't it? Honestly, oh, it's good to have some fight in me. I got it. I got it. I don't know where it came from. I got a fight. I got a fight in me. Oh, I feel I could do it. I can deal with it. Oh, because Jesus is so. What did he come for? To give us the fight in our spirit. Give us fight in our spirit. Are you dilly-dallying around or playing with fire? How about Proverbs 6? You don't put fire in your bosom or else what will happen? You will get burned. Why do you play with snakes? Why do you play with fire? Why do you fool around with poison? Remember Pastor Teplow's story about putting a screwdriver in the electrical box in Russia? His apartment, the lights went out or something. He goes in the hallway Skull and bones on the cover of the box. Duh. He opens it up, puts a screwdriver. He's blinded. But, oh, Pastor Teplov, but thou, oh, man of God, flee these things. Why play with fire? Why play with lust? Why play with gambling? Why play, why play around in life and, and play with something that is destructive? Why lose your money? Why lose your integrity? Why lose your, your faith? Why lose your Bible knowledge? Why lose your church life? Why lose your friends? Why lose your fellowship with Christ? Christ, powerful. Man, he is powerful. Christ, overcame this world. It's nothing. It's nothing. It's dust. It's chaff. All all that stuff. No. Flee it. Follow after righteousness and then fight a good fight. And uh, you got it. Uh, We have it. You got it. You're out on a Wednesday night because you're hungry. Because you learn. It gets in a habit of learning, getting a good word in season, being with our sisters and brothers, being built up, and and I love the worship. I missed the first song tonight. I lost track of time, but I, oh, I missed this first song. Man, I love singing in our church. I love the worship. I love the fellowship. And I just want to say to you, like, don't underestimate who you are and what you got. What you got is amazing. Walk in it. Take a hold of eternal life. You know, if you got a million dollars in the bank, you don't know about it, you can't take a hold of it. You know, if you got something over there that's all ready for you, it's yours, but you don't take a hold of it, you're not living your life. You're not living your life. You take hold of eternal life. But thou, O man of God. Amen. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> oh.
Lord, we, we, we just thank you that you sent Brent Hilinga, who's here with Lucy, and to Columbia to bring a message and a life from heaven. Here in our, in our families, we have the kingdom of heaven is in our homes, in our hearts. It's in our church. It's in our mission. And people need it. Lord, that we would not believe a lie about ourselves or about the world that you put us in or about you. But the world is filled with lies. Even in the atmosphere, even in a projection, we can believe a lie. But you are greater than all the lies. You are the way and the truth and the life. Thank you for that. It's incredible. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, Come to Jesus tonight. Put your trust in him. If there's any darkness in your heart, just get it right. Bring it before God and lift up holy hands and trust him. He'll carry us all the way. He will. He'll take us all the way through life. And he gets all the glory for he did it. He led us. He did it. He guided us. He used us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Would you say to Jesus, I trust you. I believe in you. If you've never done it before, do that please tonight. With all your heart, just say to Jesus, I need you in my life. And then for all of us as believers, may we say it in our heart too and be refreshed and renewed in our lives. By your great grace, do this in Christ's name, we pray. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.